All right. Well, again, welcome. Those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here, and excited to jump back into Romans. I forgot to mention, though, we, are, we do have uh, paper communication cards, so um, if you don't have a smartphone or you don't want to use your smartphone, that's fine. Uh, there are pieces of paper up here with pens, and you can fill that out, and the back is purposely like blank, uh, so you can fill out a prayer request uh, if you'd like, and our prayer team can, can pray for you throughout the week. Um, just a quick heads up, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but just so you are aware, um, this will be our, our, our last week in uh, Romans for, for now, right? So we're going to pause here. Uh, we're going to finish up chapter three, and then in the fall, we will continue back in Romans uh, for another, I don't know, long time. We're going to be in Romans for a while. So we're taking a little break, a little siesta uh, for 11 weeks, and we're going to be doing uh, this uh, kind of a summer series, not just another story, looking at parables, looking at uh, teachings of Jesus where he flips the narrative upside down. And so we're going to be doing that for 11 weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, we are in Romans. This is week 20, uh, week 20 of Romans. And uh, it, it some, some days, some weeks, it feels like, yeah, 20, 20 weeks seems about right. And then some weeks, it, some days, and some moments, I'm like, oh, no, it doesn't seem like enough. There, there's so many, there's so much here that we could really delve into. Uh, but that being said, this is going to be kind of a... Um, uh, you know, a bookend, a temporary bookend until we, we keep going in the story. And, and so it got me thinking, and I, and I know I'm, I'm sure I've used a, an illustration like this before, but I, I, you know, any, any popular TV show, right? There's a, there's a thing where it's previously on 24, previously on ER, previously on Lost, right? The, the good doctor, Angel and I like watching the good doctor, previously on this. And, and it kind of made me think, like, why do they do that, right? And because our generation, at least now, not like, you know, when we were kids, we couldn't do this, but now we can just binge a show. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to, we don't have to like wait, oh, what's gonna happen next week? Or I don't remember what happened five minutes ago. Remind me, please, right? And there's a little button you can skip the previously on because we just watched the last episode, right? So it's not normally a thing as much as it was once, but why do they do that, right? Because, because we forget. A week goes by, and like, what's going on and what's happening? And then, and then they bring up a character that was like from 10 weeks ago, and you're like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that person, right? That's, that's why they do that. They're saving um, their HR. I don't know if HR is involved with that or who, of like, how come they're getting the, all the emails, right? How come, where'd this person come from? It's like, oh, remember when we reminded you? That's why we did it. I think that's why they do it, um, just to save back work for themselves. Probably not. Anyways, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back 20 weeks. We're not going to, I'm not going to go through every single uh, sermon, but just the big, big picture, 30,000 30, foot recap, right, of Romans so far. Again, it's 20 weeks, and I'm just going to have, I've got three slides of kind of where, where we've been, 30,000 foot recap of, of kind of the big pictures of the chapters. And again, the big overarching question that Paul is getting at here is how can a just God allow anyone in his presence? That's the question he's getting at. He, again, great question that every Christian at some point needs to wrestle with is how can a loving God allow anyone into help? It's a great question. That's not Paul's question. Paul is asking how can a God who is just and holy, uh, unapproachable in his perfection, allow sinful people in his presence? That's the question that Paul is trying to get to. Right? And so he does this by starting off in chapter one, saying, I'm the apostle Paul, and I am a, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the, it's the first descriptive that he uses. Uh, he, could, he, he could list a million accolades of who he is as an apostle, but the first thing he starts off with is, I'm a slave, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's where he starts. And so Paul is writing to the churches in Rome, 
these smaller house churches that would have been throughout Rome. They would have taken this letter. They would have read it out loud. They would have circulated. And let me, let me pause there if, if I can. When, when we teach the way we've been teaching and we've been going verse by verse, half a verse by half a verse, that sometimes we can get lost in the weeds and we kind of forget to zoom out and go, what, what's the big picture? What's going on? The benefit that you have and we have is you actually have a copy of the Bible. And so you can just read chapters one through three in about five minutes uh, to go, oh yeah, that's what's going on, right? So don't get too caught up in the weeds here, right? So we can, we can read the same way they would have had the book read to them in Rome. And again, it's not written to us. Uh, sorry, it is written to us. It's not written for us. It's written to us, right? It was for the churches in Rome, but it's, 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 it's to us. I just messed that up again. It's, to, it's written to the churches in Rome. Am I, did I do it again? Okay, it's to the churches in Rome, but it's for us. There we go. Sheesh. Write it down, silver. All right. Um, and, and here's the thing, though, that all people, in, including Gentiles, are without excuse, right? That's chapter one. Chapter one, again, context, King, King Claudius, Emperor Claudius expels the Jews out of Rome. They were inciting some insurrection and, and whatever it may be. They were just Jewish in heritage, and so they were hated. And so Claudius says, get out. You're out of here. And, and if you're, the, the house churches, a lot of them would have been Jewish converts. There would have been Jewish Christians that would have been leading these house churches. And the emperor kicks them out of Rome. And now they're coming back. Claudius is gone. He's dead. Now the Romans, the Jewish Roman Christians are coming back to Rome into their churches. And it's a different makeup. You now have Gentiles, other ethnicities that are leading the church that aren't Jewish and they're butting heads. And the, and the, and the Jewish Romans are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys, you're Gentiles. You guys are dogs. You're the scum of the earth. And Paul is like, yep, you're right. They are bad. Gentiles are really bad people. They are without excuse. And so he's going he's gonna to say this in Romans chapter one. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And again, with, if, looking back, this is a long time ago, but the wrath here isn't this like future judgment wrath of God. He's saying it's being poured out right now. The wrath of God is happening now. It's active the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men by who their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. That's the language. And then moving on, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They, they exchanged the creator, the God of the universe for the creation. It's that uh, C.S. Lewis quote that I know we, we do quite a bit, right? They, 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 they were like little children playing in the slums with mud pies when we've been offered a holiday by the sea. We, we just can't begin to understand that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was with, with Jack, my four-year-old, and, and we have this little Google thing, I don't know, Google something on our, on our counter, and he went up to it and was like, you know, hey, Google, what's the animal of the day, right? And it, and it says, oh, it's the capybara. And I was like, hey, we can go see a capybara. Why don't we go to Sequest at the mall? And he was like, why? No, I want to I learn about it on Google. And it's like, you can, you could, we can go see one. You know what I mean? Um, and then that's, that's how we are, though. It's like we have the thing. We have God. We have the creator in front of us. And, and, and all of humanity has said, ah, no thanks, God. I'll choose the things you created instead. 
That's the Gentiles. Gentiles are without excuse, but then he's gonna, he's gonna flip it in chapter two and he's gonna say, but so are the Jews. So are God's chosen people. So are the people who God revealed himself to and gave him his word and his law. And he's gonna change, you're gonna hear the pronoun change here. Therefore, you, Jews, who think your heritage is what's gonna save you, who you are, who your dad or your great, 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 great grandfather was, therefore, you have no excuse, oh man. Every one of you who judges, right? Because all, all those Gentiles, they're, they're nasty. Look at the things they're doing. And he's gonna say, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things, right? And, and, and we do this all the time, especially when we're driving, right? You're driving and then someone zips flying by you. And you crazy idiot, what do you do? You can't drive like that. But then when we have an emergency and we're flying around, like, hey, I've got them, you better calm down. I know what I'm doing. We judge, we do the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Say, no, no, one, no one is here, right? How is it that a just God can allow anyone into heaven and into his presence? The apostle Paul is saying he can't, he cannot be just and allow people into his presence. He cannot do it because we're sinners. He can't just excuse it. He can't just say, ah, I know you sinned against me, the creator, eternal God, with an eternal sin that demands eternal punishment. Ah, forget it. I'll just wipe it clean. He can't do that. And that's what Paul is arguing. So he's going to say in chapter three, starting it off, but it's, this can only be done by faith in Jesus. So again, how can a just God allow anyone to his presence? He can't. But then we get to this phrase in chapter three, verse 21, but now. But now the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the rightness of God has been made clear, has been made manifest, and has been made tangible apart from the law, apart from doing good works. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we spent a long time walking through these verses recently, uh, spent three or four weeks looking at this. And again, this is according to Martin Luther, the, the center of the Bible. The entirety of the Bible hinges on these verses of saying, how, how do I get in? How, how can I be made right before God? By faith in Christ alone. It's by grace as a gift. It's the gospel. Verse 25, whom God put forward, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward, he publicly displays as a propitiation, I've looked at this a couple of weeks with this mercy seat, the same word that we have in mercy seat and how the sinner in the synagogue, the prayer he's praying, he can't even lift up his eyes to heaven and he says, God, be merciful to me. It's the same word, mercy seat, pour out your blood on my behalf. And Jesus says, he went down justified. He went down made right. Why? Because of the mercy of God. And is it by the blood of a bull or a goat in the tabernacle? No, it's a mercy seat by his blood, by the blood of Christ to be received by faith. <laughs> this was to show God's righteousness because of the, his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. And you go back to Exodus and you look at the Passover account that it wasn't the lamb and the blood of the lamb that was spread on the doorpost that paid for their sins or atoned for their sins. It passed over their sins. And it's only Jesus' blood that can pay for it. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, oh man, this is it. And Paul 
stinking got to preach this last week. The just and the justifier. I mean, these words, like that's, that, that's it. This is how. How can a just God allow anyone into heaven? Because he is just, but he has to be the justifier. We can't do it on our own. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves, though, when I watch a show is um, when people, the, the Brit- Great British Bake Off, great, great, the Great British Bake Off is, is classic for this, that you start the episode and they give you like clips of what you're about to watch. You know what I'm talking about? It gives like these little mini little things of what you're going to watch. And it's like, oh, well, clearly that person got in the finals. I, I don't know why it drives me Honkers when that happens, like, oh, that guy drops his cake on the floor on his way up to the judges. Great, thank you for, for giving me that, right? I don't know why they do that, and yet I think I just did that of like, next week we're gonna be doing this. <laughs> why? I don't know why, I guess it's just the thing to do. But one of my biggest pet peeves is this, but so uh, here we are. Coming up this week, here's this week's sermon, right? That was all recap, 30,000 foot this week though. Where is boasting? Romans chapter three, looking at 27 through 31. I'm gonna read this out loud. If you wouldn't mind, if you're able, uh, just out just of respect for God's word, this isn't, it's not law or anything like that, but if you wouldn't mind, just stand with me as I read this out loud uh, for us. This will be our text uh, this morning. Verse 27 says this. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. Outline pretty simple this morning. We're going to follow the question marks. Paul, in that text I just read, there are six question marks, but four thoughts, okay? Um, so two of them are going to be jammed together with the six question marks. So, so four, four main points. The first one is this, boasting. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's, this is a, it seems like a really weird question. Paul just got done for three, two and a half chapters explaining you can't, there's nothing, there's nothing to boast about. You can't do anything to add to your salvation. You can't do anything to take away your salvation. I know Paul, I think last week was talking about the kind of a, I don't know what you call it, a catechism or something that he says to his kids. And I started doing that and I've started saying, right? What, you, you've done nothing to earn my love as your dad and you can do nothing to, to take my love away from you, right? I, I love you because I'm your dad. And it's the same, right? Who else loves you that way? God, God loves me that way. We, we can't boast. I can't add anything to it. I can't take it away. So how, why does he say what then becomes of our boasting? What are you talking about, Paul? How can you ask that after you just said and all the arguments you just made? I think that when we look at this, because again, he said it over and over and over and over and over, we're justified by faith, by grace as a gift. And yet we are so prone to wander. Our hearts are so prone to leave the God we love and think that it's all about me and rely on ourselves. And I think we can boast in one of two ways. There's probably more, but these are the two big ones that I could think of. One, I still think I add to my salvation. I still think that God will love me more if I just, eh, he'll love me more than that person. He'll, he'll, he'll listen to my prayers more than maybe that person because they sin a little bit more than I do. And I think that I add to my justification. I think I add to who I am as a good person. 
And we talked about this uh, very explicitly when looking at the obituary of self-justification, of looking at, I cannot do anything. My, I can't self-justify my works or my acts. I can't, I can't do it. And I think that we've talked about that a lot. But another side of that same coin, I think, is the opposite of, I don't think I'm worthy of salvation. And, and, and there's, there's this self-deprecation boasting that happens with this, that I, I don't think I'm good enough. I'm not lovely enough. I'm unlovable in, in, in my culture or by my family. How in the world could God love me? Right? This isn't just like a, the gospel isn't like self-help or, or I got I to gotta be better or be a or more lovable person. Right? There's a gospel problem here. And I think that both are equally uh, about self-control or excuse me, they're, they're both self-centered. That, that I can add to my salvation, it's about me doing something works or it's self-deprecation of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, how could God love me? And in, in, a, in a way, turns the, the camera back on itself, the lens back on itself and says, it's actually about me because I'm not good enough. And both don't believe the gospel. The one of I think I might be able to add to my salvation doesn't have a high view of God's holiness doesn't have a high view of his righteousness, a high view of God, lofty, seated on his throne, unapproachable, ineffable light. I can't, right? Moses being hid in the cleft of the rock. I can't even see God and live. We don't have a high view if we think, ah, I think I can, I, maybe I could have seen God. I think I could have figured it out. And the other one, though, doesn't have a high view of the love of Christ. We don't actually believe the gospel when Jesus says, I love you and I died for you. You are lovable to me because you are created in my image. You are my image bearer. We have to be remind ourselves that we bring nothing to the table. The second aspect of this is by works. Excuse me, well, let me just finish this. What, what then becomes of our boasting? He makes it very explicit. It's excluded. You don't add anything and you don't take away. You, can't, you don't get to do that. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it's finished. So then the second question here then is by, by works. By what kind of law? By law of works? So again, these two questions kind of meshed into one. And there could not be a phrase that's more explicit in the Bible than this. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. By the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, right? And works can be anything that I think I'm adding to my salvation, right? The, the old adage is Jesus uh, plus nothing equals everything. And what we like to do, because I don't know, just our culture, our humanity, our nature, we want to control it. We think we want to add to it. We want to do something. And so we go, well, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus tithing to local church. You should, you should, you should give money to the church. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, we think we can add it to it, and, we, and you can't. We don't get to do that. It's only, only justification, only made right and made righteous by faith apart from works of the law. What's interesting, though, is that Romans chapter 3 says this, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And James 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. <laughs> what? <laughs> that seems a little contradictory there. 
right? It seems like exactly the opposite, okay? So what, what's going on? Are we justified by faith? Are we justified by works? Because that also seems very explicit. Let me let R.C. Sproul say it this way. Some people say that this is a clear example of the Bible um, uh, flatly contradicting itself. Or is it possible that James means something quite different from what Paul means? The question that James is addressing is a quite different question. He is facing this problem. What good is it if a man says he has faith but has no works? James is dealing with people who say they believe. Anyone can say they believe, so he said, so show me your faith by your works. And then he goes on to say that faith without works is dead. Can that kind of faith save anybody? Of course the conclusion is no, and Paul would certainly agree. The only way you'll ever know that my faith is real is if you see my behavior. I know I've shared this back in sixth grade. My teacher, Mrs. Beefus, right, had this banner over the classroom, right? Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I know I've said that before. That's what James is getting at. James is saying, you say you're a Christian. Oh yeah, no, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus is cool. Yeah, me and Jesus are cool. I'm cool with the big guy upstairs. We're good. But your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You got, you got to, there should be something I should be able to tangibly see. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, there's something there. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you can't walk. <laughs> Paul is saying there is no walking. You're dead in your sins and you need Jesus. And he's the only one by faith and by grace that you could even begin to think about walking. I can never be justified by my works. That's what's going on here. I'm not justified by my works, for behold, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The third point, third question here is that, or the God of all people, question mark, um, says this, verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. We've talked about this, the, the legal, the law, as far as circumcision. And, and so he's using the same thing. He's saying it twice. You have Jew and Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised. You have religious, irreligious. That's the, those are the categories that he's doing. He's saying God is God of one. He's one God. He loves all people uh, for all time. He died for all people. And so therefore, it's only by faith. We've been, uh, uh, well, let me, let me read this quote here. Christianity is a faith that transcends all national, cultural, and racial distinctions. Neither is it time-bound time a particular period of history. Rather, Paul boldly professes that it is a universal faith. This may not strike us today as particularly profound truth, but to the ears of the first century Jew, this would have been shocking. Charles Hodge, another theologian, comments on Paul's words by saying, we Gentiles, that's everyone in here, unless you have of a Jewish heritage, we Gentiles may now look up to heaven and confidently say, Thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us and though Israel acknowledge us not. This, this, this is the shift. This, this is turning the world upside down. That's what Jesus does. He's a God of all people, not just the Jews, everybody. And I think Paul has made that explicitly clear. Again, going back, right? 30,000 foot view, been using this graph, this chart to look at, grasping the text in their town, point one, what it was written to Rome. So, so let's get into their shoes. Uh, what did it mean to them? And then we gauge the width of the cultural river, uh, time, uh, covenant, language. And then we cross a principalizing bridge. And then number four, we consult the biblical roadmap. And then after all of that good work, then we can now apply it. We can now grasp the text in our town. 
And so when we look at this, though, what's the principle, right? Because I, I think that we, we understand, you know, we're good, we're, we're people who grew up in the church. I understand God is a God of all people. He's not just of the Jews, not just of only the Gentiles. Like, we're all, we're all one. We've been grafted together. We get that. But there's a deeper truth that I think that we can apply. And so what is the principle that comes across? <clears throat> God so loved the world, all sinners, and yet we don't live like this, right? This is the principle that I wanna try to hit home today. So I'm gonna, I have Romans chapter three, starting verse 29, I have the HLV. This is the Hope Lower Town version. Might be a little blasphemous. Let me just read it though. Because I think this, this starts to hit. Or is God the God of Republicans only? Is he not the God of Democrats also? Yes, of Democrats also. Just, just think about this. This is what he's doing. He's taking these two extremely different groups and saying, we're one, and God is the God of all. There's no differentiation here because it's not by works. Whether you're a good Republican or you're a good Democrat or you're a bad Republican or you're a bad Democrat, you better be libertarian. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm kidding. What about this? Or is God the God of married couples only? Is he not the God of singles also? Yes, of singles also. Is God not the God of Baptists only? Is he not the God of Lutherans also? Yes, of Lutherans also. Is God not the God of private school kids only? Or is he the God of public school kids also? Yes, of public school kids also. And on and on and on and on we could go with this. And so whatever that thing is, whatever that person or that people group or that company or whatever it may be, God is in control the Bible over and over and over again, it's one of the most beautiful concepts of who God is. It says he's seated on his throne. God is not pacing around, wondering what in the world we're gonna do. He already knows what's gonna happen. And so we get to put our faith and trust in him. And so when we think about this, or is God the God of blank only? Is he the God of me and my opinions and my, my politics and my religion? My religion, we'll get into, what I mean religion, I mean my flavor, maybe my, my denomination. He's the God of everybody. And we might say, well, God might be that kind of God, but I will never associate with this kind of person. Do you have any idea who they voted for? Do you have any idea how much money they spent on whatever last year? No way, I could never. I grew up, and a lot of you know this, I grew up in uh, independent fundamental Baptist churches and we had this um, doctrine that was called a second degree of separation. What's that mean? You can Google it, it's real, I promise. And within fundamentalism, it meant that if there was a person or, a, or an organization, a church, for example, that maybe was another independent fundamental Baptist church, if they associated with a church that wasn't, then they were anathema, they would be cut off. Case in point, the, a school that I had gone to for a long time in Illinois, they were part of what was called the Illinois Association of Christian Schools. Well, wouldn't you know it, they started using drums in their worship service. And, and they got kicked out of the IACS, okay? And, and, and the problem was there was another school that was like, well, they're actually still good people. They actually still seem to love Jesus. And because that school was like, well, they still love Jesus, the second degree of separation was like, well, you then associate with that school, therefore now you're out. And we look at that and go, that's wild, not a chance. But yet we do this, this is just a neo-fundamentalism and we do it on an individual basis all the time. 
hold on a second. Do you have any, that person, that person works at Target. Did you know that? You, and you're gonna, you're gonna be friends with that person? That person voted for a Democrat. What? I can't, you can't, you shouldn't be friends with them. And we do this all the stinking time. Is the God, the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Also, yes, of the Gentiles also. So let's make Jesus the hero of the story, shall we? Who did Jesus associate with? Who did Jesus sit down and have a meal with? And there's a lot, I just highlighted a few. Matthew 9, 19 through 17, we get this image of Jesus eating with Matthew, who is a tax collector. He's the scum of the earth. Like I, we just societally like, don't have a category for this. He is a traitor. He has betrayed his Jewish friends and relatives, and he has become a, the man for the Romans. He's collecting taxes on the behalf of an invading, occupying nation. He's the scum of the earth. And Jesus says, oh, I know you. Your politics are very different than mine. Let's have a meal. And then sinners. Sinners were people, this category. It was literally a category of people. We have Republicans, Democrats, and sinners, right? It was like a category of people. Of, of they, were, they were known for their sin. Prostitutes, gamblers, swindlers. They're sinners. Jesus has a meal with them. He invites them over. He didn't have a house, but he goes into other people's houses and has a, has a meal with them. Man, I, I could never associate with them. I could never invite that person into my house, not at my table, no way. Simon the Pharisee, religious, religious leader. And in, that, in the Simon the Pharisee's house, a prostitute come and washes his feet with her hair. And, and the Pharisee thinks that, Jesus, if you, had, if you had only knew what kind of woman is touching you right now. Martha and Mary, he's got some really good friends that he goes and he hangs out with. I'm just trying to show a differentiation of people groups here. The chief Pharisee goes into his house and there's this great, tells this parable of a great supper of saying, all people are gonna come and have this meal with me. This isn't just the religious. This isn't just the people who don't need a physician. I came for the sick. This one is wild, Simon the leper. He has, he has a meal with somebody who uh, you couldn't even stand to look at. Someone that would have been unclean, who would have shouted, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And Jesus goes into his house and makes him clean. It's wild. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have that person in my house. And then last supper with all of his disciples, including one who's gonna betray him. So how do we grasp that in our town? Here's what the answer is not. And I hope you've been around hope long enough to know the gospel to say it's not, the, God, the gospel is we'll just be nicer. Let's go people, let's just be nicer to people that aren't like us. Let's go. That's a horrible motivation. It becomes law, it becomes legalism, it becomes obligation. And might I even add and postulate that it's not even treat everyone the way Jesus did. Because again, that motivation of the heart is law and just duty and obligation. 
God demands that I treat all people without partiality. And when I look at all people and people maybe that I listed or maybe things or people, an individual or a people group that came to mind, you will inevitably find out that you cannot treat all people without partiality. You can't do it. But Jesus did. And Jesus lived that life that I can't live, including how I treat my friends and my neighbors, my coworkers, the sick, the homeless, whatever it is, fill in the blank. So how do we grasp the text in our town? It's we follow his example out of a renewed heart and mind to love your neighbor as you have been so loved. Not out of duty, it's motivated by love. It's, it goes from I, I have to, to I get to. There's a huge difference there. It's subtle, it's very subtle, it's just there, just under the surface, but it's, it's, a, it's profound. Um, if, if you're a woman or a man, I guess this would apply to anyone. Uh, if you've ever been given flowers, if anyone ever gave you flowers, um, it, there, there's something about, right, if I buy my wife flowers on, on March 7th, uh, which is uh, March, I don't know where March came from, from August 7th, <laughs> good thing she's not in here, from, from uh, August 7th, our anniversary, right? If every August 7th, I buy her flowers, as a matter of fact, get this, you can actually go into Amazon and you can say every March 7th, deliver flowers to my house. When those flowers come to the house, my wife goes, wow, thank you for the bouquet. I'm like, what bouquet? Oh, yeah, 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 happy anniversary. Or when I randomly show up with a bouquet of flowers the spontaneous, right? When I choose to do this thing, it is vastly different. I have to, the obligatory anniversary flowers, or I get to. I want, I want to. It's very different. And that's not law, that's freedom. And then we're gonna get introduced to this word, this glass question, overthrow the law. Verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith, right? So he's been, he's been talking about, we don't, there's no law of works, there's no, there's no law. We're, right? Christ has ended the law, he's, he's, he's fulfilled the law. So we overthrow the law by this faith. And he says, by no means. Like, like, by, like no, like emphatically, no. Like may it never be, God forbid. On the contrary, we uphold the law, period, Come back in 11 weeks, right? This is like the, this is like the hey, next season, uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into this, right? This huge cliffhanger that happens, but I don't want to leave you hanging that long. He, he kind of hints at it here. If you see that we uphold the law, what, what law? He kind of hints at it up back up in verse uh, 27. He says, no, by the law of faith. And he's going to start talking about this law of faith or the law of Christ and how it's very different. It's very different from Old Testament law of obedience. And so I don't want to just leave you leave you for 11 weeks, I want to, but I don't want to go forward because the Apostle Paul is going to spend the next couple chapters answering that question, okay, of, of what is this law of faith? What do, how do, do we do good works? Should we do good works? What's going on there? That, that's, that'll be this fall. But the author of Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, starting in verse five, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body that you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desire or taken pleasure in sacrifices or burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Okay, so the author of Hebrews is saying, 
that this is you know, prophetic through the words of Christ of saying, you commanded, you demanded sacrifice in the sacrificial system. That this is gonna be the day of atonement, that blood is gonna be spilled. He's saying, you, you don't, that's not, that's not what you want, that's not what you desire. You desire true forgiveness offered through the, the Lamb of God, of Jesus Christ. And then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order, the Mosaic Levitical law, to establish the second. What is the second? What is this law of Christ? And by that, we will have been sanctified, being made right, being made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How is it that a just God can allow anyone into his presence? We've been sanctified. We've been made holy through the offering once for all of Jesus Christ and his body, his blood. And every priest stands daily at his service, offered repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered uh, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, here it is, he sat down. It is finished at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. He's gonna put his feet up, he's so relaxed. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And those words are quite powerful at that last sentence there. For by a single offering, he has perfected, he has, some translations will say, he has made holy for all time those who are being made holy. <laughs> You're holy. You are justified. You are in Christ, not by works, but by faith as a gift of God. I'm done. Once for all, done. I've perfected. I'm justified. For all time, those who are in the process of continually being made holy. What? Yeah, that's how it is. This is a process. This is a life that I'm living, again, not out of duty and obligation, but now I get to, there's something that when I see Jesus as who he is and I get a clear glimpse of him, I can look at people that I might deem unlovely and I look at it through the lens of Christ because he loves them and say, yes, I love them too and mean it. And it's an ongoing continual fight. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm in Christ. Hey, I love all people, see? It's, this is work, but not by works. So a gospel application, you are a work in progress. We are continually in this process of being made holy, but we are declared holy. And there is a next season in the story of your life. And I think you can have a little double entendre there of the word season of, of the story of the, you know, of the series of your life, not like you're on the Truman Show and it's all about you. That's not what I mean. But I mean, though, the season, when we talk about sanctification and this process of becoming holy and like Christ, the Bible always determines it, always describes it in terms of agriculture, seasons, bearing fruit, growth. It doesn't happen overnight. Or if you're like me and you've got, do not have a green thumb, it takes five years to grow a blade of grass. Seasons. And finally, let your boasting be in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.31, we see this. Paul is saying, if you're gonna boast, boast in the Lord. We can't boast. I can't boast in something I did. I can't boast in something I didn't do. I can only boast in Jesus Christ. Every week we, uh, we have communion and we have an opportunity to, to viscerally taste and remember the finished work of Christ. Finished, it's finished. Can't add, can't take away. And we get to reflect, examine our own hearts, examine uh, how we might be, show partiality, and not to, oh, woe is me, I'm, I'm a wicked human being, but ask for forgiveness and repentance. There's this phrase um, that I recently learned, uh, and it's a popular phrase, but blood is thicker than water. We've probably heard that phrase before. 
And usually when that statement is, is even as the image would show here, it's family. My family, right? My, my blood is thicker than, than water, but that's actually not the real quote. Does anyone know the full quote? The full quote, and I looked this up. It's, this is true, okay? I, this is not a TikTok thing, I promise. This is real. I, I, I made, because I did see it on TikTok originally, and then I went and fact-checked it, okay? And the full quote, it's an old, old proverb, and it's this, that the, 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 the covenantal blood, uh, the, covenant, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. It's actually an exact opposite of how we know this phrase, that the blood of the covenant, this thing that I choose, these relationships that I have with you all, is actually thicker than the, the water of the womb. There's something else that's happening in the, in the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ that he says, I'm going to choose you. This is not obligated, right? That we, that we're reformers. We love this idea of irresistible grace. Like Jesus is like, I choose you. Get over here. I don't want to go. No, we see him as beautiful and he becomes irresistibly attractive. And we want to run to him and we want to love him. And we see his blood, the blood of the covenant. And it's not that phrase isn't, that's exactly Matthew, what Jesus says, but I don't think it, it stems from that. But in Matthew chapter 28, 26, excuse me, says this. Now, as they were eating the Passover meal, again, the significance is, is unreal. This Passover, this, this former thing that passed over the, the Egyptians to save them, now is being paid for, not by the blood of a lamb or Passover meal, but of Jesus' blood. And now as they're eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When we see him as irresistibly attractive, we want to follow him. We, we move from I have to to I get to, including how we view other people, including our own boasting, He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. He said it is finished and he gave us these elements to, to partake together. And again, uh, the blood of the covenant in the sense that we, we are in this community together, that we partake of these elements um, uh, because we have a, a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's not a private relationship with Jesus. We don't get to do things privately. We do this together in community. And we partake of this meal together, viscerally taste and see and remember. And all I would ask uh, here is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've bent the knee to King Jesus, I would love for you to come and take this meal with us. It doesn't save you. It doesn't cover your sins. Jesus already did that. He already did that. This is a chance to remember and as a means of grace, see Christ uh, up close and remember what he's done. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to, to have this with us. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church, just that you'd be a follower of Jesus. And the worship team's gonna come. They're gonna play a couple more songs and then, um, and then we'll be dismissed uh, together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are both just and a justifier, that you demand justice, you demand perfection, you demand holiness, and somehow in your divine wisdom and, and sovereignty, you look at us and you go, yeah, but I have an answer. And the answer is not do better, try harder, be more like me. The answer is I will, I will send me. I will send me, I will send my son to cover your sins, to, to actually absorb the wrath that allows me to continually be just 
but in the same process be justifier. And so it allows us to look up at you as holy, as pure, and yet be able to approach the throne of grace in our hour and our time of need because of Christ. And so God, I pray as we have these elements that your blood, that we remember the finished work of your blood being shed for us to cover our sins, to absorb the wrath of God as your body was being broken in that cross thousands of years ago, that we can look to that and say, man, if that's who Jesus is, I want more of that and I wanna serve him and I wanna love him and I wanna love others the way that he commanded me to. God, we love you. We pray these things in your son's name, amen.